All right, hello everyone. This is the first episode of States and Sports Desk podcast for what I guess you would call summer 2020, 2021. Sports season two. Season two. Sports Desk. Yeah, enter big flame montage. <laughs> unfortunately, right. Unfortunately, we don't have the quite the budget. <laughs> but uh, the sound, since this is a podcast, just just go on true. YouTube or some public domain and find firework noises yeah that's true i mean there will be no video video element of it at all but that's fine <laughs> we'll do what we can on a low budget but anyways um so yeah we're here with jason as always jason's a, obviously a regular from last last season yeah. as we're gonna call it <laughs> i guess we'll call it a regular <laughs> right <laughs> i mean yeah it was basically you and i on most episodes but i say that to preface uh we have jacob entering for his first episode what's going on jacob Nothing much. Happy to be here. Got Jacob posted up in his home in Salt Lake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Long That's, distance call here. There we go. Right. This is actually a first for the podcast. We haven't had a, a video, uh, a video Zoom call. Like I guess it's the trendy thing to do nowadays. So we're not really breaking any ground here. But yeah, <laughs> I will say we are using Google Meets instead of Zoom. So Google Meets, if you'd like to sponsor us, we're open. DMs are open. Sponsored by Google. <laughs> I hope that's not a conflict of interest of any kind. <laughs> a diet Skype or pre-Zoom. I don't know what it is. Yeah. yeah there's. Yeah. No, I like, like it better than Skype, to be honest. So. I would agree. And that's why we're on the platform. So, uh, yeah, we're here to talk about really kind of what's gone on since the pandemic started. Um, we're not going to really go too far back. We're going to kind of keep with um, what's happened in the last month or so but um to say that we have some men's hoops we have some usu football and it's kind of nice that they're actually starting to put things out they're going to be new and release press releases and kind of give us new information because there for a while was it was a month solid of just complete silence yeah it was was interesting to me because i was i had i finished an article about women's hoops team shameless plug for my work at the statesman usu (laughs) statesman.com And then I kind of, during that march, I kind of just fell off the sports radar. I just stopped looking into it, just fell into the whatever hole everyone else fell into. <laughs> just, just bundle up inside your room and just wait it out. Yeah. Well, it's a pandemic. You were all in a dark place there for a little while. It was, it's uh, so true. <laughs> not a whole lot going on. Yeah. yeah. Normally I try and plug myself into sports to get away from everything, but I didn't have that. So I you know, played video games or whatever. <laughs> but then I came back, and it was probably just after things had started to pick up a little bit with recruiting. Because when I came back, the women's team had signed like four players. Yep. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> when yep. did this happen? And it actually, it, you know, my article was a little pessimistic. And the fact that they signed players, it made me a little more optimistic about the team. Um, which maybe we'll get into that in a later podcast. Probably not still focus on football and men's basketball. but Yeah, we're definitely looking into having a head coach Kayla Hard on uh, in the near future and also maybe some some other people involved in the program but yeah today we're going to stick with uh, men's hoops and football and it's funny that you bring up the uh, the the vast amount of signings that women's basketball had because it was it was around the same time that the men's team was also loading up with the recruits <laughs> and there was a, a two or three day stretch there where you released a, an article about one of their signings, and then the very next day, I think they had another one on the table. Yeah, it was running because it kept happening when I was at work, so I couldn't really get it out quickly. And like by the time I finished mine, everyone else 
you know, the desert news and the, the Tribune and whatnot, they've all had theirs out for like three hours. Yeah. Like, come on, I gotta get the scoop, but I gotta also make money. I feel like there's probably a caveat involved in being a, a student reporter. <laughs> we usually either have have other jobs to support ourselves, which is that's probably the normal. You got a five hour handicap on breaking news stories. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Please give me a five hour grace period. I will get it done after that time. <laughs> All right, so um, yeah, so let's get into some of those signings. Uh, there was I'm not going to try to do them in chronological order because at this point it feels like they have a whole new roster full of players. Um, but let's kind of just start with um, some of the players that you guys have watched a little bit of tape on. I know Jacob, you mentioned that you watched a little bit of tape on uh, Max Shulga, which is impressive for for two things: one, taking the initiative to go out there and watch him tape right off the bat; two that you found tape on a, a player who's from the, from the Ukraine so quickly. <laughs> it wasn't the, the most crystal clear video footage, but uh, <laughs> I got to see him hooping. And, uh, you know, he's got a lot of, a lot of Diego Brito in him. Uh, he's kind of a, a do-it-all guy. Uh, Craig Coach Smith described him as like a Swiss Army knife, but I don't know if he's the quickest or the strongest. Obviously, he can work on those things, but... He just kind of has a knack for the game and he's in the right place at the right right time. And he's super scrappy and he's just one of those guards that can create, that can make everyone better. And he also can shoot it from the outside. So we need more of that. It's interesting when you lay that out because the first thing I thought of was Sam Merrill, obviously, not to say he's going to be that prolific of a scorer, but not the quickest, but you know, he's intelligent, gets in the right places. And then I kind of started thinking that's, kind of what the strength of Abel Porter were is, you know, intelligent could get those passes out. And like, obviously they're super depleted at the, at the true guard position right now. So maybe that's a really a keen signing that they got. Yeah. That's something as far as one thing I noticed is that, you know, when watching him, there's a decent amount of ball handling, which that that is really what they're going to need because they lost their three primary ball handles, basically their entire guard rotation yeah. minus the like 10 minutes a game in 25 games that Sean Bear still played. He's the only returning guard production they have. And he, Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy. He, yeah, <laughs> he, he was really raw as a freshman. Just really like, I really love his potential, but he was, he was not very good as a point guard. They honestly played him more as, shooting guard and small forward, even though he kind of projects to eventually become a yeah, kind of a taller point guard distributor. I think with, with Max, the one thing is that when I was watching, he wasn't playing the primary guard position. He was still playing off ball, which is frustrating because I think he can play point, but just because of the roster he was on, I was able to watch some of his the U19 or U18 yeah. he played in, in 2019. You can see him there, but he was, he was playing shooting guard. But you can see some of the passing there. See him when he's, you know, utilizing screens. Like Utah State has quite a few high screens when they had Namish Kata on there, you know, on the floor. They'd run tons of these high screens. I think he can kind of work with that. You'd see that from Sam Merrill a lot, working with those, with those screens. So I think maybe he could. I think you brought up his probable lack of strength. I think he's like a buck 80 right now as far as his weight. Which is really light, especially for a six foot three guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe he's one ninety. I can't remember. I'd have to look it up again. But he's a pretty light guy, so that might hurt him a little bit, especially because he does like to go into the lane a lot for his scoring, mm. which he could pull off against, you know, U eighteen Division B players who don't know how to rim protect, 
but when he's running into Mountain West centers, it'll be a little harder for him. So there's going to be an adjustment curve. But obviously, he has some pretty uh, impressive shooting numbers. Um, so if he can do that, then he can kind of ride on that till he's able to, you know, develop his body a little more instead of being a little scrawny 18-year-old. Right. Well, and it, thankfully, like, it seems like over the past couple of seasons, Coach Smith has been – been pretty good at integrating those players out a little bit weaker. Like you didn't see Sean Barrasso like right off the bat. You obviously didn't see Liam Chesney at all last year. And so hopefully he's going to give them time to mature and develop a little bit more physically. Um, and they won't kind of just rush them in there for the lack of guards. Um, but who knows, I guess. I mean, I, I know Coach Smith usually, obviously they like to do the multi-guard rotation and not necessarily have like a true point guard on the, on the court at all times. I don't know if that's something he's going to continue to do. Um, what do you guys think the roster kind of shakes out to look like in the, in regards to that position? So Marco Anthony is going to be a guard. We don't know if he, I don't think he's going to be, he's not quite as the same true point guard as maybe Abel Porter was. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't, we don't have a lot of film from him at Virginia, but he'll, he'll definitely, he's like the one lock for the guard position, arguably him and Sean Bear show, but yeah, the only I way I think Sean Barristow gets beaten out is if really Worcester – like Worcester, I think he's one of the other earlier recruits. I, he's probably the closest to being ready because he's like 6'3". He's also like 210, 250 yeah. pounds. He has a little the filled most college-ready body. Yeah. But again, I don't know if he's necessarily – like there's a lot more to translating to Division One than just having the body. Um, See, so yeah, I think with Marco Anthony, the thing I don't know is that from – the problem is I've never really found any tape on Mark Anthony from high school. And I found like one game from him at Virginia where he played 19 <laughs> minutes. So not a whole lot. And it doesn't show in any way what Marco Anthony is going to be like at Utah state. Cause when he was at Virginia, he was like in that one game, he played 19 minutes. He was filling in for a guy who was suspended hmm. and he was playing with Ty Jerome and Kyle guy, you know, future NBA guys. So it's like, yeah, he's playing third, fifth, 17th fiddle on right. the floor and he's going to be the primary scoring and maybe distributor we'll see for Utah State because he's like the only veteran guard they have on the team. So if he can be that, the biggest question I have is if he can be a passer. I'm very confident in him as a scorer. What I want to know is how well he can pass it, which there's some, some hints that maybe he can be a good passer because in high school he was very much a do-it-all guy. Um, but we don't know if that'll, that'll translate. If he can be a passer and playmaker like Sam Merrill was, they might have to rely on that less from, you know, Shoulder or Ashworth. But if he's right. not as much of a playmaker, we, we may have to see Sean Bearstow or Shoulder or all those maybe be relied on a little bit more. So it'll, there's a lot of questions with, you know, how this is going to shake out. And a lot of it depends on how good Marco Anthony is. A lot of it depends on the jump that Sean Bearstow makes, if he even makes one. And some of it is which of these freshman guards they have coming in, which of them can step up. Right. And I think, you know, it, luckily they they don't necessarily um, need a true point guard to kind of distribute the ball. They do a lot of stuff off ball and just the movement kind of creates passing lanes and stuff like that. So I don't know, it, like a lot of times, obviously, they went to Sam Merrill as more of a, an ISO thing and he would distribute the ball. But um, at the same time, not having somebody on the roster like that, like you're saying, if Marco Anthony isn't necessarily ready to step up and fill that role immediately, it might actually open up the offense a lot more. Who knows? Yeah. 
I think Anthony's scoring, he's much, I think he's capable of being a much better isolation scorer than Sam Merrill was, which may open up the floor for other guys. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you mentioned Coach Smith's system, like the way it ran last year. You know, he hasn't, you know, Abel Porter's the closest they've had to a true point guard, but he's, I don't know, he wasn't the kind of that John Stockton, Chris Paul, where like he's running the offense. He was just a good passer and good player in the offense. It's very simple for guys. It's very, it's full of very simple passes. Nothing that really challenges guys too much. Mm-hmm. So they didn't really need a point guard. Maybe he ran that because they don't have a really, really good point guard. Um, you know, they didn't it's have the chicken or the egg. Yeah. <laughs> There's some questions there. So they'll probably have to run something like that again, which I think it'll work with the roster they have. But there's a lot of other things with the guards that, you know, will they shoot well? Will they be able to defend well? That's a big thing. Can they defend well? And that's something that Marco Anthony coming from UVA from Virginia, that's got to be the best defensive division one basketball. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully you'd expect that he knows how to play a little bit of defense. I'd hope so. Yeah. Well, a little bit of defense and uh, like overall, they have a ton of length on the roster. So length obviously doesn't translate into defense, but you would think that length plus coaching, getting them the right positions, like they'll probably be fine without, you know, obviously the players that they lost. So as far as uh, just thoughts on the guard rotation, I think we'll probably see, so of the three freshmen coming in, Steven Ashworth, Rolly Worcester, and Max Shoulder, one of them's probably going to rich. Yeah. I think Craig Smith wants to have at least four, guards in his rotation he did last year i think barristow is would have would have uh i think he would have redshirted had smith had another guard he could have inserted into the lineup i think barristow didn't redshirt because he wanted to have just someone to fill in for depth purposes. yes you're not going to run with just three guards on the roster so but I think and those three guards, sean barristow um uh, coming in like when uh, abel porter hurt his back at the end of the season and He's able to come in and play those meaningful minutes against New Mexico. Yeah. And it ended up working out. He didn't play a ton, but he stepped up when they needed him too. So yeah. he was there and he was, he was a good depth piece. Uh, you know, I, I guess maybe I made it sound like he was bad, but like I said, he was raw. There's stuff I really love from him. There's one play that I keep thinking of where he ran the pick and roll with the Miyashketa, which right. I watched that play about a thousand times because it was just so wonderful. And then I think the next play, he like threw the ball away or did something. <laughs> so I was like, you know, there's there's things I love about him. And, and again, if, if Barristow makes a big jump, yeah, again, like that. When I say so much depends on Anthony and Barristow because if those two really perform well, then that's just all the better because then there's less pressure you put on these young guys. Because I remember after just one weekly media scrum or whatever that we had at the uh, after a practice. Smith was just talking about how they had these young guards and they're going to have to step up and just play a lot. Like they didn't have any other options. They yeah. Just, they would have to, and you, you don't want to have to put 21 minutes per game on Steven Nashworth fresh off his mission <laughs> as a true freshman. Like you, you don't want to have to do that. No, no. I mean, if you're forced to do that because Steven Nashworth deserves 20 minutes a game, then that's a good problem to have but you don't want to be forced into having to play such young players who may not be ready quite yet. Yeah. hundred um, percent. I, I think uh, so we've, we've kind of covered uh, Shulga. We've covered Rolly Worcester a little bit. Uh, do you have anything else to say on Ashworth before we kind of move on to the big men? 
Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, he didn't stand out too much in high school. Um, I want to say Lone Peak has always been super good, but it wasn't like he took over the scene. But he did have one game where he dropped 29 points in the second half. Hmm. And so he seems like he's a pretty consistent shooter, but maybe one of those guys that uh, as he develops, if he heats up, then uh, he might be scary from beyond the perimeter. Well, with Ashworth, he's that um, he's that passing point guard mold, I think. He had a lot of assists. And with, with Lone Peak, he had a lot of better scores. He's not really an inside scorer. I don't know if we're thinking of the same game, but there was when uh, Lone Peak went to like the 2018 high school nationals. They played against, um, I forget the name of the high school. It's the one that won basically the national championship or whatever. Mm. And uh, it was a prep school and it had RJ Barrett on there. You know, all these other, you know, high prospect oh, guys. Yeah. It's a private school. And yeah, he had 29 points in that game. Maybe they're all in the second half. And to kind of explain, like, he's a perimeter guy. He shot 7 of 14 in that game from three. And he shot like nine of twenty-two overall. So like doing the math, he shot really <laughs> poorly inside. He's a six-foot point guard. And like one of the first plays you see, he tries to go up for a layup and he gets swatted to heck and back. But as a perimeter shooter, there's some potential there. And in that same game, he had the 29 points, he had 10 assists and two turnovers. Hmm. So you can see that potential as a really good potential point guard, an actual true point guard, or at least someone who can be a point. I've gotten in arguments over what a true point guard is. That's why I'm hesitant <laughs> to use the phrase. It'll be a point guard in Craig Smith's offense. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and the question, the reason I don't you know, want to just throw him in now is because obviously he's a freshman, so we don't know if he can utilize that. And he's coming off a mission. So yeah, it's been that's... like three years since he's played real competitive basketball. Exactly. So, you know, in two or three years, I think he could really show up. Or maybe he'll show up now. We never know. Utah State's not one of the places where freshmen have showed up a ton. There's only two examples in recent memory. Yeah, they, they're typically – no, go ahead, Jacob. Oh, I was just saying, yeah, I I can't think outside of uh, Namias Keta, who right. has had such a huge impact just right at the beginning freshman yeah. year. Yeah, the only two I could think of was Keta was the one, and the other is uh, Kobe McEwen. That's pretty yeah. much it. That's yeah. like who in the last like five years. Before that, I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> well, it's irrelevant because it's not the Craig Smith era. So <laughs> no basketball existed before the Craig Smith era. <laughs> well, the Stu Morrill era. You yeah, I know, forget I the Tim know. Durian era. I know. Yeah, there's just that gap in between. Um, all right. So what about Zapala? Zapala, another seven foot plus center. Um uh, a ninety-three. What? He's only six eleven. Don't give him. Oh, I thought he was. I was. I, my bad. I thought he was a full seven foot. That that he's, is my fault. He's listed. So he might be. I don't know. He's, yeah. Um, no. No. With or without shoes or... I want. I want to. I want to clear your name. It is a six eleven on twenty four seven. I got it wrong, um, but also on twenty four seven, we got uh, a ninety three. Oh, ninety three uh, overall grade. Uh, the actually the highest, if I'm looking at this correctly, um, in their program's history yep um interesting because obviously uh like we talked about a little bit before we start recording craig smith loves these big guys he loves the the european big guys um they, they overall have a lot of centers on the roster now compared to especially a lot of teams in the conference um and a, another polish guy which um i don't know if he's going to translate at all the same way as uh kuba did or not 
Uh, what do you guys think based on what you guys have seen? Well, what I've seen is that, you know, I don't know. He's definitely, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how to say this. He's definitely a really big body. Like, I think he'll be the heaviest player on the roster, I think. He's 240 pounds or something like that. Yeah. And I don't, Kid is probably the closest because I think he, he's 220 pounds at the end of his freshman year. I think he put on maybe 10 or 15 extra. So as a freshman, he'll be in contention to be the biggest player on the roster. Um, and he, he plays like that. He's a physical guy. He's not a very vertical guy. And I'm saying not a very vertical guy about a guy who's six foot, 11 inches tall, <laughs> but it, it kind of shows where he barely jumps. I've seen a play where he jumps and he, he looked fairly athletic, but I never see him do it. Mm. Um, he's also very active on both ends of the court, which I really liked. So like he's not really a shot blocker, but he's getting in their face in the post. He's, you know, moving around. He looks like a very smart and, you know, hustling player. I don't know if that's a word or not, but he <laughs> hustles a lot and he, he looks like he's smart and I think he'll fit in really well with the system. Um, he has something of a post game. I don't know if he'll really be that much of a scorer, but I do like that. I, I do like him as a prospect. You think chances are probably he'll fit into the same category as most of the other freshmen. There's probably not any need for him immediately on the roster to get a lot of playing time. So most likely he'll probably just fit in where he can get limited minutes. And then obviously if he plays well, he'll extend those minutes a little bit more. It's tricky because last year Craig Smith had three seven footers on his roster. Yeah. Two of them basically rode the bench for most of the season. Even when they were missing Keta, they were running with Justin Bean and Alfonso Anderson. They even started yeah. that as their front court one game. So Kuba and Dorius were kind of just played themselves off the court. Just Craig Smith just didn't see them as good enough to play them in meaningful games a ton. So Zapala could jump them if he's good enough. Mm-hmm. And you want to have a backup center. You don't you know, I, I mentioned not wanting to have to put pressure on these freshmen. You don't want to have just one center and have that be your only option. Where if Kedahiki gets in foul trouble occasionally, you'll probably have 10 or so games this season at least where he gets in foul trouble. And you'd like to have a backup center at least as an option who you can yeah. trust. I I like what I've seen from Zapala, and I honestly think that he's going to be that backup center behind Mimias if – everything goes as planned as he stays healthy. I think he's, like you were saying, I think he's more versatile than uh, than Dorius. And um, I liked, he's really good on the pick and roll. He, he's just, his movement, he's, I don't know how much experience he has like in the post, like making post moves, but just his movement off the ball and stuff, like he just does the right things. And I think he'll fit into the, the Craig Smith offense nicely. Yeah. I, I think he could be something at post score. Like when you look at, um, his stats. He also played in the he played in the same tournament that Max Shulga did. They never played each other, but they played in the same tournament. He had a couple of games where he did well scoring wise, um, and there were some post moves. Some nice little. And again, he, he used a lot of physicality. He's not just this agile guy. Um, 
but you could see some potential again this is an 18 year old we're talking about he's not hakeem olajuwon <laughs> right but you, you can definitely see that and he he moves fairly well for a guy again he's 6 11 240 pounds so again i don't think he'll become a great scorer but i think maybe a, a 10 point per game guy maybe at his peak a guy who can be fairly reliable in the post and craig smith runs post plays yeah you know he runs them for alfonso anderson and um and Keta, mostly for the latter but <laughs> um, maybe you could see if he doesn't being the backup center we could see him in a, a few plays for his apollo where he gets in the post because he's already got a bunch of you know post setup plays in the bag yeah might as well break him out i think what you're seeing kind of from craig smith this last recruiting class um kind of just as a whole it seems like he's starting to recruit more which is a good thing starting to recruit more for depth than just purely for need which I think kind of shows a lot for where the program is starting to head, where you don't necessarily need to fill positions every single year in your recruiting classes. I think it's good to have the option of having a Zapala who can just be a backup center while Kate is on the roster. And then maybe he develops into the starter in two years, but you do have a solid option off the bench at the number two position, which a lot of rosters in the mountain West, especially don't have that luxury. I think the one interesting thing, about him is that in from the high school numbers that we have i i found in the press release they mentioned that zapala shot like 40 something percent from three in his high school <laughs> in high school season which i found the the statistics is season statistics it was like four something somewhere on 14 or 17 games i can't remember which one i think it was 14 games and he went like eight of 17 or whatever 47 percent around 17 yeah. threes is so small sample size but he shot like 47 percent from three that's interesting and the troubling thing though is that when he went and played in the fiba tournament he didn't shoot a single three <laughs> so there's conflicting evidence but there there may be a possibility that maybe he could be a three-point shooter i there's hope so but i have he might be the, the next Porzingis for all we know, right under our <laughs> He's in Europe. Well, the funny I thing, shooting centers, I think, uh, think of Memo, but that's because I'm old school jazz. Yeah, fan. that's very old school. I shouldn't say old school jazz. That's only like the. What about, what about, <laughs> what about our uh, Andrea Bar uh, Bargiani? How about that one? <laughs> <laughs> we have to go with players who are good. Yeah, he was like a number one pick. Yeah, but Marvin Williams was taken number two. That doesn't. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, you're right. No, I think it's I think it's interesting. Um, the the three point shooting you bring up because um, obviously Kata doesn't have a three point shot or a consistent one at least, right? I'm sure he has a practice and, shot. And I, you know, I'll interject this. Kata had similar hints of three point shooting to Zapala. His weren't as mm -hmm. good but he had hints of taking threes and making them at a 30, 40% rate. Right. So should, and so did Kuba. Right. So, and Kuba obviously on a much less scale, but like keep in mind that there are quite a few centers who will kind of show that, but then it doesn't translate to a higher level. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's part of Craig Smith offense where he, he doesn't want his centers taking threes, um, even if they have an open shot. But I mean, there were plenty of occasions last season where Kata would be, um, basically wide open at the top of the top of the circle. So I don't know if 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 Zapala does have a little bit of a shot, if he's going to be you know feel dangerous dangerous enough to take those shots on occasion. But um, 
Yeah, I, I think your point is is probably a better one. Of a lot of the times, you do see those European players with uh, a little bit more of those three point attempts because that's just the European game in general. Um, they like to stretch the floor a lot more. And but I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind seeing the center shoot threes in yeah. Craig Smith's offense. Well, if he can shoot it in the, you know, you think forty seven percent in high school probably ticks down to like a full 10 percent yeah at least <laughs> you think mid 30s if you can sh- if you have a player who can shoot mid 30s from three you let him shoot yeah um and the thing is when they had the sets with anderson and justin bean both of those guys had enough of a green light to shoot threes being more later in the season he actually shot like 35 percent in um conference play mm-hmm. like one or two threes a game but mm-hmm. i'm really hoping that justin bean develops his three-point game because that'd be really helpful but yeah. Again, if if Zabala, Zapala can shoot threes, he probably will. But again, it's just my doubts that he actually can. Yeah. Okay. Um, do either of you have anything else you want to interject first before we move on to football? One thing that I just want to say about um, Dalton, you mentioned uh, Craig Smith is recruiting guys for the future, for mm-hmm. the years to come, and there's a lot of benefits for that obviously, but one thing I think, I think about, I think Craig Smith has the ability to change this culture, but there's a little, little bit of a, just think, there's a, it's in college basketball, but guys transfer out of programs if mm-hmm. uh, they get good really young. So if we're having all these kids roll in their freshman, sophomore year and be huge contributors, then maybe they're going to be like Kobe McEwen and jump on the ship and go somewhere else. And so having guys developing in the program, uh, it helps them be more loyal and uh, sticking around in the aggregate. So, yeah, and I think it'll be great. We have seen a few guys transfer away from Craig Smith, although, I mean, it was Carson Bischoff and Abel Porter, and I think Roche Group Van who are, uh, I don't know what happened with Abel. I don't know. There's just a lot of weird things. And I'm not saying they're bad things. I just think there's a lot yeah. of behind the scenes with Abel that, yeah, you know, he just has to go a different path. And Roche didn't get any playing time. So, right. But yeah. uh, I, I guess there's one thing I wanted to add. I'm really intrigued by um, – we mentioned it before, I think we started recording, Liam McChesney. Okay, yeah. He's a guy I'm super – him and Sean Barrister were two guys I was super excited about because they were long, athletic guys that you don't tend to see at Utah State a ton. Mm-hmm. And McChesney, he – all the rumors I've heard, again, I've not found, like, any statistics other than, like, mentioned in an article or a press release. I've never found, like, game by game or – season statistics so i don't know really how good of a shooter he is other than hearsay that i found on the internet but apparently he was the second best shooter on the team last year um that was that's a pretty low bar but um <laughs> although carson bishop hey they won the conference three. championship man come on and they were terrible three <laughs> by the way i know you, had, you mentioned in preseason i thought they would be good you thought they would be bad you actually very much beat me on that so. yeah that's one of those few times where I think we actually recorded and then we never got it posted. And I'm so bummed out about that because I was so vindicated. Okay, but there was a, Before we get too off track, there was one where I mentioned, I swear I mentioned on a podcast where I thought Jordan Love would get somewhere around 15, 16 interceptions yeah. in the season. And he had 17. And I, yep. I want to find that because I feel like a genius for predicting that. I I believe uh, well I'll digress after this I'll let you take the floor back over but I believe for clarity uh, it was in one of our first football breakdowns and I think you also wrote like a sister article about it so it's out there yeah. if you really want to well, find it 
I wrote predictions, but in the written article, it was I didn't write down that I thought he would. It was only in audio uh, where I said I thought he would throw a lot of those interceptions. But there were some bad predictions in my in my articles. Too, so <laughs> I can't get too much. I can't get too much on my high horse. But fair enough. Um, I've already forgotten what I was talking about with McChesney. But McChesney, uh, yeah. I, I think with him, the, the tricky thing is that I mean, last year when he redshirted, I wasn't surprised one bit. I was kind of hoping he would play, but when I saw that he wasn't getting into the rotation, I was like, yeah, because they have Justin Bean and Alfonso Anderson. Mm-hmm. And I think when I did I did a preseason ranking of all the recruits, I put him down pretty low on there, and it was because of, one, I didn't think he was really ready because he was a toothpick coming out of rural Canada. And neither was that he was just so far down in the rotation. <laughs> so, And he's facing a similar problem. I don't really think he's a... I think he's probably gained some weight now, but he's still far down on the rotation. So unless he can play small forward or maybe even guard, we'll see. Yeah. I, I think that was the, the discussion we were getting into like right before we started recording. I, I think if he's going to want the opportunity to actually get meaningful minutes, he's probably going to have to enter into that small forward position because the, the power forward position, I mean, you have obviously a couple locks and then you have guys at the center position. If they really wanted to go big, could probably slide down and fill that position. I think he's, he just, he's one of those guys where he has such a, an awkward, awkward game body type combination where it's like, he, he doesn't necessarily excel in one or two things. He, he's not necessarily the biggest guy, the strongest. It seems like his skill set doesn't necessarily fit his body all that well. Um, but at the same time, he has a ton of talent and a ton of potential. So you, you think probably like just one or two more things that he can pr- improve on, and he probably will become that lock eventually. Yeah. Um, I've seen him play at the Arc, and uh, he's a lot better than uh, all the business majors down there. <laughs> so that's, that's not a high bar, though. Not no, that's not a high bar at all. I can hang with some of them, and I'm not good at basketball. I think you got to do your man better than that, Jacob, because that is not a high bar to clear. I, I should say one time I was at the Ark and it was after the season when we see some of the basketball players. I ended up on a team with four of the basketball players. That's for like a 2018 season. Yeah, I can't really remember who all they were. But I was playing with four of the basketball players. Yeah. Me. I was, I was the worst player on the team by so long. They were really nice about it. Though. They passed me the ball and they're like, all right, ISO. They ran an ISO. <laughs> Did you did you think let's go hypothetical in an alternate universe if you would have dropped like fifteen on that game like did you have any consideration of walking on? <laughs> okay, That's so about my basketball skills yeah, lack thereof. We're we're gonna move on. <laughs> um, one one last thing to mention about basketball before we we completely move topics. Um, they did release uh the fact that they were gonna be playing in the Panama City, uh, beach. I don't know. Is it tournament? Is it just the Panama Beach like It'll invitational be like a showcase type thing? Yeah, showcase. Um, Maybe a fourteen bracket. I don't know. So this is something that we kind of all came to agreement was was probably released uh, a little while ago, but the matchup probably finally got was the the final part that was missing, and so they're going to be playing Mississippi State uh, December twenty first in Panama Beach city florida which i thought was interesting because when i first saw the press release i thought they were going to be going to panama and i was like how the heck are they going to schedule that with the pandemic and everything that's going on and i thought that was a long shot but i guess they're just going to florida so it's not that big of a deal right yeah that's that's easy to do i guess 
Mississippi State. Um, they were a bubble team last year. Yep. Uh, and they are returning some talent, so it'll be uh, a good chance for a resume win in the non-conference. Yeah, that, that, that's the thing with basketball. is the only way for them to get teams that are good for a tournament resume is to go to these kind of showcases yep. or just play them on the road. That's that's how they're going to do it for pretty much the entire Cricks with Eric because everyone's now scared to death to come to Utah State because they're good. And how much? What what's the Venn diagram of of harm and help that that ESPN spot that showed the 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 herd going crazy in the spectrum? How much harm did that do for opposing teams wanting to come to the spectrum as opposed to the the publicity that that got the university? <laughs> I think it's just been a long standing. Teams just don't want to come here unless they know Utah State's bad. Yeah, yeah, which is good. I mean, it's good to have that reputation. I mean, the women's team got Oregon to come here last two years yep. or whatever. Yep. That's that was I, a... that's when I finally got that. Um, I don't know how to say her last name. Sabrina Ionescu. I can't say yeah, her last Ionescu. name. Yeah, That's that's when I got to see her play. Which I think she had a below average game by her standards when I watched her play, which is a little. She probably still dropped like 25, right? I don't think she hit 20. Oh, dang. That is blow. I think somebody else... Say what? Probably the altitude. Yeah. Yeah. Altitude thickness. It was just one of her not as good games. Again, I think she outscored everyone on Utah State anyway. But like, I was hoping to see her get like a triple-double or dominate. And I was just like, well, I guess this just wasn't her game. And one of her other... You know, the number three team in the country is going to have more than yeah. one player. So. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I'm sure she uh, surveyed the landscape and probably didn't need to bring her her best shoes on the on the occasion. <laughs> but anyways, um, let's uh, that'll that'll do it for the basketball portion of this. Uh, if you want to catch the football portion, that will be right after this. Uh, we'll probably split them up into separate podcasts because this is going a little bit long. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening to the basketball portion. If you want to stay tuned, it'll be next in the feed. <laughs>